This is the Field of Streams Fantasy Baseball Podcast, brought to you by Fangraphs. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Field of Streams Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Paul Spohr, once again, filling in for Dylan Higgins, who is on vacation. Uh, we're going to dive right in right now because we got two slates. we got the day slate and the night slate. We're going to talk about every position, maybe mention some potential stacks. Um, in, fact, in fact, we'll start at the top with a little bit of weather. It's looking like everything's pretty good for the day. Uh, Seattle at Baltimore probably has about a medium chance, I would say. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, meteorologist, so obviously keep checking on that stuff all the way, uh, you know, until game time, but that one looks the worst. A couple others have some some threats that I guess could change the, uh, St. Louis at the at the Mets and then uh, Dodgers at San Francisco. I think those are a low chance. I, I wouldn't be too worried about either of those games. I'm not even sure I would be all that worried about Seattle at Baltimore, but those are the three with weather that I would, uh, I would stay focused on. All right, let's dive in. Let's start with the day slate and talk a little bit. Uh, we got some pitchers that are at the high end for sure. Uh, Kershaw and Bumgarner are facing each other, 12,400 for Kershaw, 10,500 for Bumgarner, um, you know, these two have faced each other. I think, I think a couple times already this year, and so it's really kind of tough to 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 get behind one of them because they're facing the other. Which obviously, you know, they don't go toe to toe against them. I guess they do. I, you know, when 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 the pitcher's bat. But uh, the the fact is, a win is tougher when your your opposing number on on the mound there is 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 that much you know is that good so i don't think either have really pitched completely up to expectation uh, especially Kershaw riding what a 4.24 ERA but you know he's been fantastic so i really don't even buy too much into that ERA uh Bumgarner's been more of at least what i expected i know some folks are might be a little bit disappointed in a 3.20 ERA from Bumgarner but uh, I don't know. I kind of think this is what he – I think he could be a little bit better as well, a 1.1 homer per nine rate. Don't usually see Bumgarner giving up homers, so maybe he does have some improvement coming. W- one of them – I guess pick your preference. Um, you know, you're going to spend the big money. If you're going to go with one, maybe it is worth saving the 2000 or 1900 for you stickers out there um, and going with Bumgarner. But I, I don't know. It, it's, just, it's just a lot to invest, and, you know, Kershaw – I feel like, like I said, he's been pitching great. The skills are there. I just kind of wish he had that otherworldly ERA. Uh, you know, having those kind of results makes you feel a lot more comfortable plunking down 12,400. Elsewhere, I do like David Price at 9,600 taking on the, the Houston Astros. We know that the Houston Astros, they, they can go off at, at kind of any given moment. So they are a threat. It is a little bit tough to go against them because uh, of the power that they possess. But David Price is obviously elite, so we're not going to definitely we're definitely not going to run away from him here. The Astros, you know, e- even still with their ability to kind of get on lefties at times, they're still only 18th in WRC plus at 102. They're still tr- striking out 23% of the time, so you know power is a, is a little bit of a concern. And and Price has had some home run issues, so it's it's not a uh, slam dunk, you know, even in cash games that you're going to use Price here. But uh, that's definitely where I'm leaning, at least for for my number one guy at, at DraftKings, 9600 for him. And then looking down uh, further here, you know, kind of going down to the the next level. I, th- I think you might still have to use one of these guys in cash game unless you really spend and then want to want to go uh, razor thin on offense. You know, if you're going one of Clay, uh, one of Kershaw, Bumgarner, and Price, 
you know, the money is going to be so tight offensively. So I'm thinking of going maybe one of those three and then one of these three guys, uh, Jay Happ at 7,100 facing Baltimore, uh, Jorge De La Rosa at 6,100 facing Philly. And then maybe, maybe this is, this is probably GPP only because I really don't know what to expect out of Archie Bradley, but at 5,100, uh, you know, the Marlins, the, the, it's more of a play against the Marlins than, than it is for Bradley. And I don't know that I feel great when you're doing that. If you're not really that confident in the pitcher, you know, may, maybe you shouldn't feel that great about investing. Bradley has only had one start back from the line drive incident. He only lasted two innings, five hits, four runs against the Phillies of all teams. And so that's that's where the concern is. The Marlins aren't very good offensively, and that is a great part to pitch in. Uh, Marlins sitting 26th in WRC plus with an 80. Uh, that's pre- that's pretty bad. So again, Bradley is a consideration probably for GPP only, but Hap and De La Rosa I think have a little bit more consideration if you want to pair them with with a big arm there. Jay Hap, he's been pretty good this year. Uh, not a huge strikeout guy, and so that's the one thing that you don't love about him. At least they keep the price down. He's up, you know, 6.9 strikeouts per nine. That's not special. It's actually down from last two years when he was sitting at about seven and a half. But Hap does have a 2.98 ERA this year, so you know he's been getting the results done. He, he's been he's been crushed once. Houston got to him. There's that there's that power against lefties that we're talking about. Six innings, six runs, seven hits, two homers um, in Houston back to start May for Hap. But every other start has been two or fewer earned runs for him. So he's been he's been pretty fantastic this year with that 2.98 ERA and the 113 WHIP uh, for Jay Happ. Uh, he's not walking anybody. You really like that part. Here's the thing. I think people are probably pretty afraid uh, of Baltimore in general. You know, you think Orioles, you think offense, you think Camden Yards, you think the same, and so you worry. Well, they've, they're sitting 23rd in WRC Plus against lefties this year, so they haven't been really beating the cover off the ball. It is a little bit of a nerve-wracking play, though, because uh, the one thing that the Orioles aren't doing against lefties, they're not striking out. They have a 16% strikeout rate. That's very low. Eyeballing it, that um, looks like the second lowest to only the Royals. And so when you're putting on that much contact, Hap's already not a strikeout guy, so... Whenever there's a lot of contact, it can be nerve-wracking because it's from an Orioles team that can hit for powerful contact. That's where the worry comes in. So it's a little bit of a worry one uh, with with Hap, but that's that's why you're paying 7,100. If he if he was kind of a, a slam dunk set sort of guy, you're looking at 8,500 or more. So I do like him. Jorge De La Rosa is another one who's a bit of a risk. Obviously, pitching in Coors that's always a risk, but. Jorge Del Rosa has shown over time that he's a guy who can handle that. He 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 can handle pitching in Coors. He's he's had success there, um, so it's not as worrisome. He's been striking out guys left and right um, with 26 strikeouts in 23 and a third inning, but a 6.56 ERA for De La Rosa is nerve wracking. He has a couple of of big shellackings. Uh, the Padres opened up on him in his season debut. He didn't get started until April 20th because of injury. And then the Dodgers of all teams, of course, got got, got to him a little bit in Coors. Four innings, five runs, six walks. So he was given, uh, he was doing a lot of the damage to himself there uh, in Coors, and the Dodgers were not 
passing up the opportunity to crush him there. But bounce back against the Dodgers, did De La Rosa um, in in L.A. during his next start. He went seven and a third innings of two-hit shutout balls. So that's fantastic. He had to leave that one with a groin injury. This is his first start back. Looks like that groin tweak is not a problem. He does. Uh, Jorge De La Rosa does get the Phillies, who do not scare anybody. They're kind of a lefty-stacked lineup. I'm actually somewhat surprised that the, that the Phillies are sitting 20th in WRC plus against lefties with a uh, 97 mark, but that doesn't scare me. It really doesn't because I'm looking at the team up and down. And first, like I said, they've got a lot of lefties for one, so I'll take the lefty on lefty matchup. And then who am I really afraid of in that lineup? Okay, maybe Howard goes deep, but I, I don't need seven shutout innings again. I'll take seven innings of, of two run ball with a two run homer from Howard. I don't care, but uh, I'm sorry, Ben Revere, Odebel Herrera. Freddie Galvis's empty batting average, Chase Utley, Carlos Ruiz. These guys are not scaring me. Jeff Francoeur, they're not scaring me. So I, I'm actually liking De La Rosa a lot at 6,100. De La Rosa really allows you to take on one of the Kershaw, Bumgarner, Price guys and not decimate your offense. Speaking of, let's jump into offense. And at catcher, we're going to go back to the well with Nick Hundley again, who we who we liked yesterday. I think at 3,500, and he's actually down 100 bucks today. So we'll take we'll take a little bit of a discount here. He's going to be going against Jerome Williams again in Colorado. Very interested in that. Uh, yesterday we only got two points out of Hundley. I think he had a ribby in an 0 for 3 or an 0 for 4. I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, hang on, I'm pulling it up here. Yeah, 0 for 3. Uh, with a ribby, two points. So he scored, but uh, nothing major for Nick Hundley. I'm expecting a little bit more today. Um, and, and like I said, give me the give me the $100 discount on yesterday. I'll, I'll I'll go back to the well yet again with him. Evan Gaddis at 3,400. It has to be a consideration. He does get a lefty. It is David Price though, so it's not going to be easy. But uh, you know he's been coming out of it a little bit here. He had a home run yesterday. Uh, he scored in three straight. He scored in six out of his last seven games. So we're, we're seeing more out of Gaddis. And anytime that power potential, even against a premium arm at 3,400, you have to consider it. Obviously, if you're using Price, go ahead and pass on Gaddis. But if you're using one of you know Kershaw, Bumgarner, um, or going off that board altogether and and going elsewhere, then yeah, Gaddis is somebody that you could look at because again, Price can can be great. He can go seven innings of two run ball, but that those two runs could be you know a Gaddis and and Chris Carter home runs or something like that. So you know. So that's a consideration. I'm probably not going there because I'm probably looking at Price as my guy, but I have to bring up the consideration. Yadier Molina is at 3,700. I think his price is starting to slowly creep back up as he continues to score. It looks like he's scored in nine of his last ten. They haven't had a, been, been a lot of big scores. He's just kind of collecting hits uh, and really getting back on track. Now Molina's back up to 294 with his batting average. He's going up against Jake DeGrom, so it's, it is a right-on-right -right situation. Not It's not a great play, but I don't think there's a ton of great plays at catcher. That's why Hunley's my clear number one. Gaddis is my guy if I'm not using David Price. And then Molina's my guy if I'm just kind of saying I, I, I got to get something here. It's not too expensive. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, a guy I love, 3,100. There's a reason he's 3,100. He's not doing a lot against lefties this year, and he's getting a premium lefty. So as much as I love him, uh, I, I'm going to go away from Grandal today, even at the lowered price. Moving over to first base, obviously it's a star fest as it usually is. Um, and the two superstars, 
I know they're going right right on right, both of them, but they're so good that you have to consider them. That's Miguel Cabrera at 5400 and Paul Goldschmidt at 5000 The price tags are super high. They don't have a platoon advantage, so I understand if you're not that, that keen on going for them. But sometimes, you know, you, you still just go with the superstars because they're the superstars. So both of them have to get some heavy consideration. I'm also digging super deep um, and, and, and looking at a guy that I've, I'm never really a fan of. But how can you not be in this matchup and the way he's been playing? That's Logan Morrison at 3,500. Kind of a douche. Doesn't matter, though. We're not we're not worried about uh, uh douche potential here on our on our DFS teams. He has scored in seven of his last ten. Lomo is not having a great season overall with just a 707 OPS, but six homers, 11 ribbies, and here's the kicker. He gets Chris Tillman. And I've been a Chris Tillman backer in the past, but that dude is having a terrible season. And I think he had a back tweak in his last start that kind of pushed him back. Let's see when the last time Tillman started. I think it's been a while. Yeah, May 12th. So we're going on a big rest here because of the back. And I'm wondering if the back's been a problem throughout most of the year because Tillman just hasn't been anywhere near himself. He's been absolutely brutal with a 634 ERA this year. It's just been a nightmare in 38 and a third innings. Both righties and lefties are destroying him. Mariner's stacks will probably be something to consider today. Um, so, yeah, if you're trying to save some money at first base, you don't really want to invest in the stars. Lomo at 3500 3, might be a solid consideration. Moving over to second base, again, we're looking at the stars at the top um, because the, the matchups are there for them. D. Gordon against Archie Bradley at 4,700. I like that. I already talked about Bradley, who, you know, I'm a little bit interested in in a GPP just because the Marlins aren't very good offensively speaking as a unit, and Bradley's so cheap. But he's certainly not any sort of slam dunk wherein, uh, you know, I, I, I could use him in GPP and then still use Marlins in my cash games. I, would, I wouldn't be against, uh, you know, kind of facing myself in that sort of scenario because I could really see it going either way. I could see him throwing six solid innings and I could see him getting blasted again with Bradley. That's just kind of the volatility of where he's at right now. So D. Gordon, 4,700, heavy consideration there. Jose Altuve, again, talking about David Price. You're not going to really stack against David Price. I don't know, maybe in a GPP where you're really trying to catch folks off guard. But I don't know that I'm really trying to use too many Astros. I think David Price is going to have a solid outing. However, I have to, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Altuve at 4,300. He absolutely destroys lefties. And again... It's not like Price is going to throw a perfect game. So he could go out there, throw a solid game. He's still going to give up some hits, uh, and, and a couple of them might and probably will be to Jose Altuve at 4300 That's a low price for Altuve. You're not usually getting him at such a great price. In fact, it's down 1200 just from yesterday, uh, and that, that has to be considered because of David Price, even though uh, Altuve smashes lefties. And then also, I like uh, Howie Kendrick at 3,700. I know he's facing Bumgarner, but again, uh, we're trying to really catch people off guard here, and, and maybe people are going to avoid Bumgarner altogether. 
I'm not afraid to go ahead and go with Kendrick against a, a, a quality lefty. It's not like Bumgarner's been unhittable this year. Uh, frankly, Kendrick's raking everybody, but lefties especially, 346, 875 OPS against them this year. Uh, that's high quality. He's always been better against lefties for his career. Howie Kendrick has a 299 average um, in, in 532 career games against lefties, 794 OPS. That's a, a couple ticks higher than his 745 against righties. So Kendrick's a heavy consideration for me here. I like the price tag at 3700 and yeah, it's a tough matchup, but I like a high-contact quality hitter like Kendrick. And then, of course, uh, dipping even further to everyone's favorite cheap guy, Alex Guerrero. He's got to be in the lineup first. We have no idea if he will be. And again, still uh, still the tough matchup of, of Bumgarner, but you love what Alex Guerrero's been doing. And at 2600 I'm just so surprised that this guy's price really never seems to jump up. And all he does is continue to rake. Alex Guerrero is absolutely on fire through the 29 games that he's played so far this year with a 990 OPS, with a 999 against righties and a 968 against lefties. He's, he's crushing all comers. Two of his six homers have come against lefties in just 22 plate appearances. you got to consider him here. You can get him at second or third for that $2,600 price tag. Again, I know it's Bumgarner. Frankly, I don't care. The price is too good to ignore. Um, Bumgarner has not been unhittable this year. As long as Guerrero's in the lineup, he'll be in my lineup as well. Moving over to shortstop, we're looking at Wilmer Flores as the top pick. For me, at 3700 I know Troy Tulowitzki at 5300 against Jerome Williams. Maybe. I mean, yeah, because he's in Coors, he is Troy Tulowitzki. I know that he hasn't been great this year, but he's 5,300, and he's 5,300. That's another tough thing because he's not, you know, he's not carrying his 1040 uh, OPS or whatever the crazy numbers are that, that Tulowitzki usually has. It's been a little bit off for him, but maybe that scares people off and, and you want to go ahead and consider him. I understand that. For me, I'm going to spend, save some money and go with Wilmer Flores against Jaime Garcia. Jaime Garcia making a season debut. I've always been a fan of his, uh, Jaime Garcia's, but injuries have really derailed him. We'll, we'll see what he's going to really give the Cardinals today. I, I could see it being a, a, a five and dive, uh, which honestly wouldn't bode all that well uh, for Flores because he would probably only get a couple looks at him at most, but we'll take it because – uh, Flores does all of his damage against lefties. He's got a 316 average and a 1093 OPS against them. It's only been 22 plate appearances for Wilmer Flores against lefties this year, um, but he's been better against lefties, I think, throughout his career. Um, uh, so it's a situation where I'll take the platoon advantage. I'm not that worried about it. Actually, I'm looking right now, and Wilmer Flores was hilariously awful against lefties last year. A 382 OPS, that's very bizarre. I don't know if there's some sort of... Uh, flaw that he had against lefties that he's starting to figure out or what but to have a, the platoon advantage and be that bad against lefties last year that really surprised me I, di I didn't know that I would have thought that he's always been better against lefties so that's interesting he's, he's completely different from that this year I'm still going to use Wilmer Flores today um, again the price is right for me I just don't think that uh, it, it's something that I have to worry about too much um, shortstop sucks anyway I'll go with him. Another consideration is in that uh, potential Seattle stack that I mentioned, Brad Miller, 3,500. So these are the two guys I'm definitely going to use today um, in some form or fashion. I want to save the money at shortstop. Like I said, it's, it hasn't been a good position all year. Um, if I thought if I thought Tulo was more of a guarantee the way he's been in past years, sure, I would consider him and save money elsewhere. But no, I'm going to save the money here. Brad Miller, he's been on fire. In fact, I'm actually going to slot Brad Miller ahead of Wilmer Flores on the pecking order here. 
Brad Miller's been absolutely on fire. He's scored in eight of his last ten, uh, including some huge numbers in that Boston series. And uh, I think he had a two-homer game. Um, maybe it was – yeah, it was not that Boston series. Yeah, recent two-homer game where he scored 30 points, hit a homer the next day for 14 points. Only a one-for-one one effort yesterday, uh, notching him three points. But he'll, he'll, he should get the start today against Chris Tillman. So we love Brad Miller. Brad Miller's our top pick. Wilmer Flores, our second pick. Moving over to third base, uh, we're going to spend a little bit more money again here, not necessarily with Miguel Cabrera or Nolan Arenado, who are leading the charge at 5,400 and 4,900 respectively, but with uh, Matt Carpenter at 4,100. Uh, he's not the top guy. There's still Machado, uh, Chris Davis, and Jimmy Paredes, so three Orioles still ahead of him. Interesting. The Orioles have three guys at third base, but, of course, Paredes and Davis qualify elsewhere, so you could technically use all three. But, again, we already talked about Hap. We kind of like him today. I don't know why I say we, it's just me. I, I kind of like him. Anyway, Matt Carpenter, 4,100. He's been on fire this year. He's been amazing. And the best thing about Matt Carpenter this year is the power. Did, don't know where that's coming from, but I love it. Uh, never really been a power guy in the past, been more of a doubles-only sort of guy. But he's already got seven bombs. He had eight all of last year. So we're loving everything we're seeing out of Matt Carpenter. Probably going to regress a bit from what he's doing, but I don't think that much. It's not like he's got some 450 BABIP that's that's driving him. Uh, the triple slash that we're seeing from him, the only real outlier is the power, and I don't think that it's unreasonable for him to be displaying power because uh, you know he's in, he's in the midst of his prime. It's, it's kind of a power spike, but I think it, I think a lot of it can hold. I think we could see, you know, a 18-homer uh, kind of season from him. Now, that would slow his current pace, but I love everything we're seeing from Matt Carpenter. Of course, he's raking uh, all hands uh, this year, but le righties especially, and he gets Jacob DeGrom, who is a good pitcher, but I'll take Matt Carpenter's 320, 391, 600 triple slash line against righties this year at 4100 bucks, even against a quality arm like DeGrom. If you're not interested in him, I already mentioned um, Alex Guerrero, 2,600. Also, Justin Turner at 3,000 is a consideration. Obviously, they're both going up against Bumgarner, and we don't know who who's going to make the lineup for them um, uh, in L.A. or excuse me, uh, in San Francisco for the Dodgers. So that's a tough part. You have to look to make sure that Guerrero or Turner is in the lineup, and then you can use either. But both have been dominating. Both are great against lefties. Uh, actually, excuse me, Justin Turner. I, th I thought he made hay against lefties. Uh, maybe that was last year because this year he's been a nightmare against them. Yeah, 9-11 OPS against right, uh, lefties last year, 327 this year. That seems fluky, though. That's, he's 1 for 13 for, for Turner. So he's just in a weird cold slump against lefties. I'm not really worried about that. Um, I could, Unfortunately, though, I could see Don Mattingly using that as a reason not to play him today against the lefties. So Justin Turner might not make the lineup because of a tiny sample of, of bad work. But even with a 327 OPS against lefties this year, I would still use him if they put him in the lineup. Let's move on to the outfield for the day slate. And we got a mixed bag here. I already mentioned Hap as a decent consideration because um, the Orioles just haven't been that good against lefties. But you got to consider and, and excuse me Andrew Adam Jones against lefties at 4400 bucks uh, just because he's been so good. So if you're not going to use Hap, then Jones is somebody that you can definitely consider. He's been killing it all year. We know that, but he's a lefty 
just destroyer. Uh, 476 average, 1357 OPS this year against them. It's only been 24 plate appearances, so the fact that he's you know 10 for 24, that's probably going to come down. But he's been a lefty killer his whole career. Um, you know, last year I think he was up in the 800s against. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. Completely undersold him. I'm sorry. I completely undersold Adam Jones last year. He had, he had a 1,003 OPS against lefties with a 3.44 average. He absolutely dominated them. I'm looking now, and uh, I had a misperception of of and I keep wanting to call him Andrew Adam Jones. I had a misperception of him. I thought he was a lefty killer throughout his career. As I'm looking at the uh, the the full season or excuse me full career numbers, he used to be terrible against them. It's only recently that he's really popped up. 2012, he really started hitting against them. Bounced back down in 2013 to like a 732 OPS. But then these last two years is when he's really emerged as a lefty killer. That's interesting. So he's made a lot of his his money um, uh, destroying righties. So the platoon advantage hasn't always been a huge thing for Adam Jones, but now this year he's going for it. 4400 you kind of like that. That's not a bad price to pay. It's not like Hap is somebody who deserves, you know, uh, the bow down respect of like a Kershaw or a Bumgarner, even though we're, we're – we're freely going against Bumgarner in, in some uh, in, in many cases today, but but Adam Jones, you'll take that 4,400. That's the eighth uh, most expensive outfielder today. Elsewhere, like Charlie Blackman against Jerome Williams, um, you know he's been pretty good. He's had a solid follow-up season, 784 OPS, not crushing it, but five homers, 15 ribbies, 275 average. He's basically Blackman's basically been the guy that we saw from May on last year, which was solid. Um, and he had that over-the-top April that everyone's like, oh, he's going to regress from that. Yeah, he, he regressed from that, but he was still like a 2020 guy the rest of the way if you if you extrapolated his numbers. So I think this year he's going to be about a 2020-something guy, um, and, and maybe he'll have that big month again at some point and kind of boost the average and the OPS. But otherwise, he's just a high-quality guy. Uh, he's He's been scoring lately. He looks like he's scored in six of his – Six of his last seven, uh, solid night yesterday, 12 points, chipped in a stolen base, a hit and a run. Uh, so solid night for him last night, 4,200. Price is actually down, oddly enough, against Jerome Williams. Well, well, why would Jerome Williams drive a price drop? We'll take it. Charlie Blackman, 4,200, solid consideration. A couple of Diamondbacks I'm interested in against Matt Latos. They're lefty outfielders, 3,700 for David Peralta, 3,500 for Ender Inciarte. Sometimes one of them doesn't play, though, so you really have to check the lineup there. They brought, they both should be playing, but there's a little bit of a logjam, and frankly, the Diamondbacks have a good offense. You might not uh, be too far out of the realms to consider uh, out of the realm to consider a uh, stack against Latos. Now, here's the thing with Latos: it's really been the Braves that have driven his numbers. The rest of his numbers are pretty good. Um, he is righties aren't hitting him all that well, so that's where. Uh, uh, Diamondback stack might not be that hot because they don't have a ton of lefties. And if you really just kind of lift the 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 first and most recent start of Latos, the first start when he went two thirds of an inning and the Braves absolutely destroyed him, and then his most recent start where they got to him, he started to settle down and then got hit in the ankle. Uh, if if you, if you pull those out, he's got about a three ERA in the rest of his starts. Actually, hang on, I'll get the full number: two ninety four. So just under three ERA with twenty eight strikeouts in thirty three and two thirds innings for Latos in, in those non-Atlanta um, starts to open the season and his most recent. Here's the thing, though. He left that last game with an ankle injury, so we don't know how, how stable he is in this game. 
maybe a mini stack for the Diamondbacks is a better consideration. But I like Peralta and Enciarte. Make sure to check that uh, they're in the lineup because that, that neither of them are guaranteed everyday play. Anthony Ghost at 3,600 against Scott Feldman, somebody I like. Ghost has been ripping righties all year. He's having a really strong season for the Tigers. Uh, he should be near the top of the lineup against a right-hander. Scott Feldman, you know, he's kind of a hit-and-miss sort of guy. When he's on, he can be really good. But uh, for the most part, you're definitely not scared of him. 317 average and an 810 OPS for Ghost against righties. And again, he's coming in at 3,600. Very fair price. Continuing with the Mariners, we've been talking about them, loving some of their lefties, uh, Brad Miller, Logan Morrison coming in at 3,500 each, 3,600 uh, for Seth Smith. We know that against righties, he tends to bat near the top of the order. He is a uh, strong side platoon sort of guy who, who kills righties. That's where he makes his money. Um, you know, he can leave the yard. He's not a huge power threat, but an 803 OPS, 263 average. We like that. All four of his homers are against righties. Weirdly enough, he's got two triples too. So, uh, he's really muscling up 10 of his 26 hits or excuse me, 12 of his 26 hits have gone for extra bases against righties this year. So Seth Smith is somebody that we like. So that, that, that Mariners stack is kind of starting to come together against Chris Tillman. I'm, I'm sure it'll be at least somewhat popular though. So, uh, don't think that you're necessarily getting a leg up on everyone. Everyone sees Tillman's awful numbers, and they're going to be willing to pounce on the Mariners because of that. And then last, lastly in the uh, day slate outfield, we like Scott Van Slyke. At 3,300, for some reason, I keep saying we. It really is just me. Scott Van Slyke, a known lefty killer. The one thing about Scott Van Slyke that I think people uh, underestimate is the fact that he can hit anybody. Um, he's known as a lefty killer, but he's not some short side platoon guy. He's He hits righties perfectly well. He should probably be a full-time player. That's just the embarrassment of riches that the Dodgers have. Last year, Van Slyke had a 1045 OPS against lefties, really living up to that lefty killer tag. Maybe that's where it was made, uh, because before then, he wasn't necessarily uh, overwhelming against them, didn't have a whole lot of playing time. But yeah, last year, the eight homer uh, barrage against lefties is really where he made his name. This year, it's only at 707, but he's only had 23 plate appearances against lefties, yet to get that first homer. I still like him. Overall, he's been good in his career against lefties. So Scott Van Slyke at 3,300. You really got to check the lineup there with the Dodgers. Not that you wouldn't check your lineup whether you're playing Miguel Cabrera or Scott Van Slyke, but with the Dodgers, they've just got so many guys that you know you generally expect that Miggy's going to be in, in a lineup unless there's some sort of injury or something. But with the Dodgers, you just never know. And three of the guys that we're picking are those guys that tend to – be flipped in and out on, on, on uh, the moment's notice. You know, Scott Van Slyke, Alex Guerrero, and Justin Turner. So that wraps up the day slate. Let's jump into the night slate. Pitching is a lot different in the night slate. I think um, if you really want to, if you, it, there is no real top end. The, the most expensive guy is Danny Salazar at the White Sox at 9,300. I get it. Um, you know, the, his strikeouts have been through the roof, and so that's what is intriguing about him. However, my concern with him is still the one thing that, that continues to happen. It's the homers. And I think that this White Sox team, they're starting to play a lot better, and so the, I don't think they're a team that you can necessarily pick on, particularly in their ballpark. 
I'm a little nervous at 9,300 for for uh, Danny Salazar. He's now he now costs an ace price. He's coming off of his worst start of the season. It was at Texas, where guess what? Two homers really did him in. Uh, he went four and two thirds, seven runs, five of them earned, nine hits, four strikeouts, and one walk with the two homers. He's given up homers in all of his games, at least one of them. Um, the strikeouts have been amazing, 52 in 37 and two thirds innings for Salazar, but you have to be a little bit worried there. So for 9,300, I don't love it. And he's the only guy above 9,000. Julio Tehran at 8,800. I don't know. You know, the Brewers are really kind of starting to regress toward their mean um, offensively because they're, they're not this bad is, is the thing. They probably shouldn't have been as bad as they were throughout all of April, but the fact is they were, and so that really buried their numbers. So they were lingering in like the 29, 20, uh, 29, 30 range of, of WRC plus against righties and lefties. Well, they're starting to creep up against righties. I think they're really starting to get better um, coming into their, uh, like I said, playing up to their their level. Carlos Gomez healthy, Ryan Braun playing regularly, and so they're slowly moving up. They're at 24th. They played a quality series against the Tigers, uh, lost lost that one late with a big Nick Castellanos hit as they were going for a sweep of the Tigers. So. I don't think that the Brewers are a good team necessarily, but they're probably closer to like a 500-esque team. So, And Tehran's been a little bit uh, off-kilter this year too. So I worry about him even at 8,800. Tehran's a guy that I've liked in the past. He was better in his last outing after a real dud against Washington. But I don't know how confident you feel at 8,800. So I'm actually jumping down to the third guy. And if you've been following me at all, follow my writing for any sort of time or follow me on Twitter, you know that I cannot stand this guy. This might be my least favorite pitcher in baseball. It's Clay Buckholz. I'm not a huge fan at all, but at 7,900, I can't ignore what he's been able to do. The skills have been strong. Uh, almost 11 strikeouts per nine, about two and a half walks. That's that's awesome. He's got games of 11 and 10 strikeouts this year. Another one of nine uh, was you know, nearly flawless against the Mariners his last time out. Three hits, one run, 11 strikeouts. Uh, that one run came on the on a homer. I mean, he's just been excellent. You know, even to start before that, he went into Toronto, and he wasn't excellent with a six, uh, six and a third, three runs, three strikeouts, three walks on seven hits. But that's not too bad. That's surviving in Toronto. Now, the one thing I worry about him is the mental piece. Um, and, and I'm not uh, – um, it's, it's hard because it's intangible. What can you really say? You don't know. But it seems like when things go wrong, they really go wrong for him. They really affect him. So if it's an error or a misplay or a bad call or the ump didn't give him the corner, something like that, those things can affect him. And you never know how badly they're going to affect him. And it makes him a wild card. It creates that volatility. It's why he has a 493 with these, a 493 ERA with these skills. So I'm a little bit nervous about Buckholz for sure. But he's 7,900. And with those strikeout numbers, uh, it's hard not to be excited about the about him for those strikeout numbers at that price. Plus, he's dominating lefties. That's where the strength of the uh, of the Rangers lineups, in, in, in so much as it is, that's where it comes from. Shinsu Chu, uh, Prince Fielder. I'm trying to think. Do they have any other lefties of note? I mean, those two for sure. But uh, so the fact that Buckholz has a 660 OPS against lefties, you have to like that. 
Also, it's at it's not in Texas, although Texas doesn't play as hard as it used to anyway, and you might actually prefer prefer it in Texas because Buckholz hasn't been that good at home this year with a 660 ERA. But again, the skills suggest that he should have been much better a 450 strikeout to or a 4.50 strikeout to walk ratio and still 10.8 strikeouts at home, 10.6 on the road. Uh, so he's been He's probably been a little bit unlucky at home. He's got a couple of really awful uh, games at home, including the, the aforementioned Blue Jays, who he handled in Toronto. They crushed him at home. So did the Tampa Bay Rays. So, you know, small sample at home for Buckholz. Uh, I don't feel great about it, but, yeah, I'm gonna I'm probably going to use him today at 7,900. The pitching options in the night slate just aren't that great. In fact, all of mine are risks, to be honest, because the other two guys I like – are huge risks. Uh, R.A. Dickey at 6,200. Here's the thing. He's been brutal. I get it. The the volatility of the cur- uh, knuckleball off the charts this year. We haven't even really seen anything all that good from him. I, I get that, and that's why it's a major risk, and it's probably a GPP one lineup sort of situation with him at 6,200. But the Angels have been so anemic against righties that you have to consider it. They're at 76 OPS plus against righties. It's really only Trout and Calhoun. And so, frankly, uh, okay, fine. Go seven innings, give up two runs, and let them each hit a home run. That's fine, R.A. Dickey. Um, but the rest of that lineup should not be doing damage against you. That one's a huge risk because the numbers aren't – there aren't even really good supporting numbers for Dickey because even in at least those last two years with Toronto when he was kind of carrying like a mid-fours or even you know higher uh, up, upper-fours ERA, you saw that the skills were all right. He was working with like seven strikeouts, about three walks, and you're like, okay – there's still at least some decent skills here. Well, this year it's four strikeouts and about three and a half walks. So it's brutal and the home runs are high, but I still feel like there's going to be a run from Dickey. Uh, it hasn't been working for him, but there still have been glimpses. His first start against the Yankees was good. Uh, his second start against the, the Rays was pretty good. His first start of May also against the Yankees, pardon me, was pretty good. Eight innings, but no strikeouts. Weird. He's had three zero strikeout efforts. So Dickey's a huge gamble. I get it. And then here's the other one. Probably even a bigger gamble at 5,700. Wandy Rodriguez. Are you kidding me, Paul? Wandy Rodriguez in uh, Fenway. What are you, a stupid idiot person? Uh, That's a weird burn, whoever said that. But uh, no, I'm not a stupid idiot person. I'm very smart and cool. And I don't mind Wandy as a gamble. Again, at 5,700, first off, he was pretty good his last time out. Um, or No, not his last time out. Last time out, Cleveland absolutely ob- obliterated him. His first two starts, uh, he was pretty good. And and that was against Tampa Bay and Houston, both in, in their ballparks. 21 points against Tampa, uh, 33.6 points against Houston. And we already talked about how Houston can be pretty good against lefties. Well, they couldn't do anything against their former mate. By the way, those weren't his first two starts. I, I'm, I'm full of crap here. I'm looking at his game log now. Those were his third and fourth starts. But his most recent, he was terrible. The Indians smashed Wandy for eight hits, five runs, and four and two-thirds innings. So he had a minus 1.5. So there's obviously a huge risk. But you're getting him for 5,700. So the risk is obviously – it's already built into the price tag. And I just don't know where else you're going to go and feel comfortable. 
maybe Jesse Chavez at 7,200, but Tampa Bay isn't too bad against. In fact, they're flat out uh, solid against righties. They're kind of, you know, uh, they're not top 10 anymore. I thought they were top 10 in WRC plus. They've fallen since then. They're they're at 12th though, so you don't feel that great about it. Um, the A's, you know, they have a terrible record, so you might think, well, I can I can use Alex Colome against them. Well, the A's are second best team in in baseball against righties with a, a 113 WRC plus. And in fact, I'm thinking of an A's stack against Colome, so you don't want to do that. So where really, where are you going to go? Maybe Salazar Buckholtz is the cash game situation, and then maybe one of those two with Wandy uh, or Dickey uh, are the GPP. I just I don't feel comfortable about too many arms here, so I'm I'm willing to be pretty risky in the night slate. Let's see how I do in the afternoon slate. If, if I'm if I'm if I got bombed out in the afternoon slate, maybe I got to play it super safe at night. But you don't want Shoemaker in Toronto. He's getting bombed out. That's that's another stack potential. I don't think Garza against Atlanta, no thanks. Kyle Hendricks in San Diego, uh, I don't know. You know, Justin Upton's going to rip like three bombs off of him. You know that. John Danks against uh, Cleveland, I don't know about that. You know, uh, we, we know that Ryan Rayburn is going to be one of the recommendations because he always is against lefties, but Danks is kind of where he's made his money. Um, so, and Cleveland, I guess they're kind of average against lefties, but no, I, I don't want to use John Danks, so... I guess that you guys are probably saying the same thing about Wandy Rodriguez, but whatever. Uh, so that's where we are with pitching. Let's get into hitting here. I already talked about an A's stack against uh, Alex Colome. It's probably where I'm going today uh, for a lot of my stuff. Starting off with catcher, Stephen Vogt, 3,700. No-brainer here. Uh, 3,700, he's the most expensive catcher. He's actually fourth most listed, but catcher's been so decimated by injury that the top three are all injured. That's Jan Gomes, John Jaso, and Jonathan Lucroy. So I'm curious as to why uh, vote is so inexpensive against a right-hander, but I'm not going to necessarily email DraftKings and say that they should put the price back up. Now, uh, vote has hasn't been quite as hot in terms of putting up huge numbers, but he's still scored in each uh, uh, or nine of ten. Yeah, in fact, yesterday snapped that streak. A lot of small scores recently: four, two, two, five, two, two. These are all on DraftKings, and then twenty. 9 and 20. So we're a little bit removed from his big games recently, but he's still scoring. And as long as the guy's scoring regularly, I'm cool with that. Obviously, you want the huge day, but just give me just give me something. And he didn't even really play yesterday. I'm seeing now it was an 0 for 1. So he had the day off, came in for a pinch hit at bat, and struck out. So that snapped his streak of scoring. But in, in his last nine starts, he's scored in all of them. So I really like Stephen Vogt today against uh, Alex Colomay, 3,700. He's an automatic. He's in every lineup tonight. Um, you know, it's weird. I, I think there was a Jesus Colome, uh, before, let me look that up. Jesus. Yeah. There was a Jesus Colome. I almost called him that three different times just now when I was talking about Alex Colome. And then I, as I went to my next guy here at catcher, I almost called him Jesus as well. And that's Montero. Miguel Montero is who I really mean, but I'm almost, I'm messing up names today, left and right. Andrew Jones. I, I, I called Adam Jones, Andrew Jones about a hundred times, but anyway, back on track, sweet tangent, Paul. Um, Miguel Montero, somebody I'm definitely considering against Odrismer Despagne in San Diego tonight. Um, Miguel Montero's having a great rebound season after two real duds. This guy was one of the best catchers in baseball. I absolutely loved him. I played in a lot of OBP leagues, and he was a real gem there. A 391 OBP back in 2012. Just an excellent season. 15 homers, 88 ribbies. Loved Miguel Montero at catcher uh, back in the day. And then two dud years in a row. You know, I, I kind of kind of average-ish last year, but really bad in, in 2013. But 
moved over to the Cubs, and he's bounced back. He's having an excellent season, 867 OPS, stands as a career high right now, which is even more impressive when you consider that it's a tougher offensive environment that it was, than it was back when he was uh, an all-star. Actually, he was an all-star last year. Did he get off to a really hot start last year and then fade? Uh, but, yeah, back in that, that big season that I was talking about and the, and the year before that, 2011, um, you know, tougher environment. And, and he would, he, excuse me, easier environment then. Now in a tougher environment, he's putting up a huge, huge line. Uh, 287, 407, 460. See, OBP, always a sneak guy, Miguel Montero. So you got you got to love him against Odrissom or Despagne. I like watching Despagne pitch because he's a kitchen sink kind of guy. But he hasn't been good this year. And he hasn't even been good at home, which is where he was good last year. Um, it's, it's small samples everywhere uh, so far. But it's still a 623 ERA at home this year, 750 on on the road. Despagne doesn't strike anybody out, so contact is the order of the day. I know this Cubs team can make anybody's strikeouts look good, so that is, uh, you know, maybe he, maybe he gets five strikeouts today uh, as opposed to the, 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 the twos and threes that he's used to getting, or, or the ones, it looks like. Uh, his last two starts, he's only gotten one, so maybe he gets a couple extras because of the Cubs, but I'm not worried about that. I love Montero. In fact, I wouldn't be averse to getting Montero at catcher and maybe even using Steven Vogt as a cheap option at first base and spending money elsewhere just so I can get both in my lineup because i got to have vote in the lineup, and I really like Montero. If you don't like either of those guys and, and you're a dummy or something like that and you, 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 don't, you just don't like great picks, uh, I'll give you one more, you greedy punk. But um, I guess A.J. Pierzynski at 3,300, that's not too bad. Uh, he's been weirdly awesome this year. I, I don't quite understand that. Uh, kind of left him for dead. I think we all did last year, understandably. It's not like uh, – you know, he was coming off coming off of an okay year. He's terrible. He's 76 uh, OPS plus 625 OPS uh, in 102 games, and he's 37 years old. What 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 sort of rebound were we expecting? Well, he's been great uh, this year. Has Pierzynski for Atlanta, 295 average, uh, 112 uh, OPS plus. Sorry, I'm on Baseball Reference, so I know I'm bouncing between WRC plus and OPS plus. Whatever you can deal, but uh, Pierzynski's doing all of his work against righties. 824 OPS, 316 average against them with all three of his homers, and he gets Matt Garza. So if you really need another option there, but I really think Vote or Montero are the clear answers there at catcher. Moving over to first base, Anthony Rizzo, 4900. I already talked about Odrissom or Despagne about how poorly he's been pitching this year. Um, he's been better. Uh, uh, Hang on, let me. I'm stuck on a different page, and I'm not editing this out. I'm gonna look this up. Sorry, I got knocked off the wrong page. But I could have just gone with what I was gonna say because I thought this was true. Weirdly, Odrisimir Despagne has been better against lefties this year, uh, despite being a righty. So he's kind of a reverse platoon split situation with a 572 uh, OPS against lefties. I don't know if I'm really buying that though. The, in the, the 970 against righties, I'm more inclined to buy. But I, I think he's kind of an 800-something against both if you, if you really uh, want, want to talk about it. So I'm not really worried about Rizzo going up against him. I'm fine spending the 4900 there if you're really interested in spending big. Uh, Prince Fielder at 4600 if you don't go with Buckholz. Sure, go ahead. Um, Buckholz, or excuse me, Fielder and Chu. Chu, uh, skip ahead to outfield real quick, 4000 I would use either of them if I'm not using Buckholz. I'm fine with that because, again, I don't think Buckholz is going to be flawless anyway. Freddie Freeman at 4,400. I already talked about Matt Garza with the Pierzynski pick. Garza hasn't been good this year. I don't know what it is. He's not even showing 
uh, the skills of last year that kind of make me feel like he can get back on track, allowing too many homers, too many walks. It's been weird. This is a guy I've really liked in the past, but this year it just hasn't been good. The Mets ripped him for 10 runs. Now that's going to inflate things quite a bit, but I don't think he was all that good before then. Um, Garza was coming off of a decent start uh, against the Cubs when he went into that Mets outing and just got trounced. Uh, no platoon split to speak of. Both sides are crushing him with an 8-16 for righties and 8-10 OPS for lefties, respectively. Four home runs from each side. I mean, they're, they're both just pounding him. So really, you could almost do a Braves stack, and that might be an interesting GPP play because I don't think people think of Braves stacks. I know I'm a little bit dubious on this Braves offense, feeling like they're going to regress, but they just keep hitting. And it's this high-contact approach that the Royals have kind of used in the past. Now they've kind of emerged into a power team. But in the past, they that, that's how they used it to be dangerous. And now we're seeing the Braves do the same thing. So maybe they're a decent option. And um, Freddie Freeman was who got it started on that 4,400. So if you want to go with him at, at, at first base, relatively cheap all things you know when you're looking at the top end there i mentioned that uh, rizzo's at the high end 4900 abreu's up there too and canarcion 4800 you could use any of those three really uh because salazar and shoemaker give up so many homers that i wouldn't be afraid to use the righty righty matchups up for abreu and encarnacion either but my my Big recommendation is probably Freeman at 4,400. Or, like I said, if you really like those catchers, if you're sold on them the way I am, a Montero vote, uh, putting vote at first base for 3,700 and then really spending maybe on the outfield uh, or elsewhere because you can't really spend it on pitching. So that might be maybe, – maybe I'm going to back off of that vote at first base thing because I think maybe you have to spend at first base because there isn't really anywhere else to spend the money. Uh, let's move over to second base here and talk a bit about don't have a whole lot of options. First off, I already talked about how Wandy might not be a terrible, uh, at least GPP play against the Red Sox because they haven't been hitting righties all that much. That said, I'm still interested in Dustin Pedroia against lefties at, at really any time. Uh, he's having a solid season so far this year. Powers come back a bit. He's got five homers. He had seven all of last year. Isn't really mashing lefties or anything like that so far this year. Kind of has a, you know, not not a neutral Eh, kind of neutral platoon split so far this year. Nothing crazy about 30 points. That's not that can change so quickly that it's pretty neutral. So um, and even for his career, he's been better against lefties, but he really kind of neutral. I guess once you get around 50 points, it's a bit of a split, but it's in favor of lefties. Um, he ha he hasn't killed Pedroia has not killed lefties in these last two years the way he did previously, but I still like him against somebody like Wandy. Uh, like I said, Red Sox haven't been great against lefties as a whole. If I'm not using Wandy, though, if, if, you, if you're really not keen on that at all, then Pedroia for 4,100, sure. But my top choice is Logan Forsyth. Forsyth at 3,200 against Jesse Chavez. Jesse Chavez hasn't been too bad, but I already mentioned that this um, Rays offense has been pretty good against righties this year. They've been kind of lingering in that top 10. They're just outside the top 10 in WRC Plus right now, but, but so far this year they've been, they've been right there. And Forsyth uh, has been destroying lefties this year with a lot of pop. He's got a 596 slug. So even though he's only got a 255 average, that 909 OPS is because he's been muscling up. Nine of his 12 hits have gone for extra bases. Obviously, that will that will come down a little bit, but I think he's always been pretty good against lefties throughout his career. Uh, so, Oh, excuse me. This is a righty-righty matchup. I'm an idiot. I'm a, I'm a giant, stupid idiot. 
that's it. I'm not. I'm still not wavering. Um, it does change things a little bit, obviously, but I'm not wavering because Forsyth has been so much so much better against righties this year. He's having a huge season. 326, 408, 427 against them. So really OBP-driven. You're probably hoping for a base hit and a walk, maybe score a run sort of day. But he's only 3,200, so you don't need a massive day out of Forsyth. I'll save some money at second base. I'm still going to go with him even though um, I messed up there. I, for some reason, I thought he was a lefty, uh, or I, I thought Chavez was a, was a lefty in my mind. I, for some reason, I had that as a righty-lefty matchup. It's not. It's righty-righty, but at 3,200, and as well as uh, Forsyth's been hitting righties this year, I'll, I'll still take it. Moving over to shortstop, I think there's two pretty uh, pretty decent options. Um, Marcus Semien can't can't defend to save his life, but he's been playing really well this year. He's at 4,100, although I think I made the same goof that I did with Forsyth, thinking that this was a, uh, a, a platoon advantage situ situation, and it's not. It's a, it's a righty-righty. Column A is a righty. That said, it doesn't change anything because Semyon's been killing righties. In fact, all of his power has come against righties this year, all six of his homers. 289 average, 837 OPS. He's mashing the ball. So 4,100. I got to like him there at shortstop. There just aren't a lot of great options. Shortstop sucks this year, and when you have a split slate, that makes it even tougher. So again, I would uh, I would go with a, a, a Red Sox player if you want uh, Hanley Ramirez. He's the leader there, 4,800 as the most expensive at the position. You can go with him. I'm fine again. I'm fine with that. If you're not using Wandy, then I think you you almost have to use uh, Hanley Ramirez because again, where are you going to spend your money today? He's absolutely destroying lefties. It's not even funny. An 11.82 OPS, four of his ten homers. Uh, he's Destroyed lefties for his career, so he's an easy option there. If you still like Semyon, you can get him in at third base. So, again, if you don't go Wandy, you almost have to go Hanley and then shift Semyon over to third base because I think third base is a little light today. Not for the season. It's been a, a darn good position. Uh, Despagne, uh, or excuse me, Brian against Despagne, fine. That's righty-righty. I already told you how righties have been destroying Despagne. Uh, so that's, that's definitely a big consideration. Another righty-righty matchup I wouldn't be afraid of is Josh Donaldson against Shoemaker. Shoemaker has been a home run machine. It has been ridiculous. We already knew that the stuff that he had was kind of, you know, he was living on a wire because of it. But the fact is, his misses this year have been brutal, and the homers have been plentiful. He's given up 11. Five to righties, six to lefties. Both sides of the plate are killing him. Toronto Stacks will be popular. I'm not afraid of a Donaldson uh, righty-on-righty matchup, 4,500 there. That was my only recommendation at third base. Like I said, Semyon counts as well. And then Bryant is kind of a late one that I'm adding after seeing how bad Despagne has been against uh, right-handers this year. In the outfield to wrap it up, we, I told you already, Rayburn, automatic recommendation against the lefty, 3,100, but also the fact that the lefty that he is, you know, kind of made this reputation against, uh, John Danks, is the guy that he's facing. Yesterday, he was fine for us. He, you know, four, four points for his 3,100 bucks. We'll take it. It was two walks. Uh, he was actually 0 for 1 with two walks and a strikeout. So it wasn't a huge day, but we'll take it, uh, hoping that today's that big day against the lefty. Uh, he's just an automatic, and, and he's down to 2900 today. Oh, excuse me. I put in the same price thinking that it would just be the same, but they've bumped it down. We'll take the discount for sure. Uh, again, John Danks has has been just owned owned by him, and we don't, we don't go BVP crazy here. I certainly don't at all uh, with, with those sorts of things. It's just not something that I really get into. But there, there are some where you look at it and you're like, yeah, there's, there's probably just something that that, that – that, that, excuse me, that this guy has 
over this other guy. Goldschmidt, Lincecum. Uh, I think Rayburn Danks is one of those where you can say, okay, there, there's enough here in the in the 54 plate appearances that he's 17 for 47 with seven doubles, four homers, six walks, uh, 12 ribbies. I think you know. I think that you can actually say. This guy, Ryan Rayburn, has got something on John Danks. Uh, there's still 12 strikeouts, so you know he could go one for four with three strikeouts. But you know we'll take a hit as long as we, when you're when you're spending 2,900, all you need is a, a score. Give me a crooked number there, Rayburn, and we're good to go. Uh, elsewhere in the outfield, again, I know I've now this will be my third Red Sox that I'm mentioning. That doesn't mean I'm afraid of Wandy though. They're not hitting lefties as a team. But if you don't go with him, you can consider Pedroia, Hanley, the two I already mentioned, and Shane Victorino at 3,800. Victorino was left for dead by most of us. I count myself among them. I just didn't think that he was going to bounce back to be anything useful. Uh, well, he's been about average this year overall, and he's making that up against lefties. Lefty performance, he should be a short side platoon guy because he's just marking lefties. 364 average, 1045 OPS against them, just 28 plate appearances. But he's been a career lefty killer, 878 for his career. So uh, we'll take Shane Victorino against Wandy today at just 30, what, what did I say, 3,800. That's not a bad price at all. Let's see what the, if they've got a BVP here of any note just because they're both veterans. Eh, 6 for 18, you know. Not, not, nothing that I would really uh, care about at all. You know, even a 18 plate appearances. I know those who like BVP think that that that's a reasonable sample, but that's spread out. What these are both 10-year guys, aren't they? Uh, so who even knows when those numbers were accumulated? 12 years for uh, Victorino here that I'm looking at, and Wandy, 11 years. So yeah, 18 plate appearances. That's nothing. Um, sticking in the outfield. Jose Bautista, I already mentioned, home run heavy shoemaker, 4700 bucks for Bautista. Definitely got to look at that. Continuing um, the A stack that we talked about, Josh Reddick at 4300 You have to consider him against Colome. He's huge. Uh, Michael Brantley at 5400 is somebody that you can definitely look at. I know it's a lefty-lefty, and, and so when you're paying that much, it, you kind of want to have the platoon advantage. But don't be afraid of it. Don't run from it. Again, I think you're going to have a hard time spending your money in the night slate as it is because of the pitching so uh don't be afraid that to invest that big money in brantley this dude's a pure hitter he's ridiculous he can hit all sides he doesn't have a major platoon split for his career definitely favors lefties 789 to 704 for his career but 704 on a lefty lefty is not inept and in these last two years when he's broken out and become a star player he's actually been Excellent against lefties. 826 last year in 233 plate appearances and 1013 so far this year in just 60. So Michael Brantley can hit lefties. That that, that shouldn't be a huge fear for you. I'll take the lefty-lefty matchup. And again, if you're seeing that you've played a lot of cheaper plays and you don't know where to go with your money, that's a great option at 5400 Spend some of your money. He's the top option. And, um, and and you're getting a great player too. Mike Trout's always a consideration at 5,300. Um, you, you just if you've got the money, you have to consider him. If you like Semyon a lot at shortstop and you still want to use Hanley, you can use him in the outfield for 4,800. I already mentioned Bautista. Uh, let's see, I already mentioned Chu. Oh, and then the last one's David DeJesus at 3,300. A cheap option. Again, if you use a couple of those big options that I've been talking about, you might still need to save some money with your last pick there in the outfield. And David DeJesus, I think he's uh, upright and playing right now. And and so as as, as a healthy player, uh, you, you can – 
slot him in against righties at pretty much any time. Jesse Chavez, hey, I got one right with the Rays, uh, a righty-lefty matchup here. De, De Jesus is a lefty. He does crush righties. 316 average this year, 826 OPS against righties for the season. And then for his career, he's at 288 and 809, respectively. So kind of right in line with what he's done for his whole career. David DeJesus has built his career on beating up against righties. Uh, Jesse Chavez is solid, but certainly not spectacular, not anybody that you have to run away from. All right, I think that's going to do it. i got to get this out quickly because I know that the early games are going to start in a couple of hours here. Uh, just to kind of review stacks that you should consider, Cubs against Despagne, maybe the Indians against Danks. I love the A's against Colome. Uh Blue Jays against Shoemaker. I mean, if you want to get cute, I think the Braves against Brew, uh, the Braves against Garza might be an interesting one to consider. And then reviewing the weather that I mentioned, Seattle-Baltimore is kind of a medium concern. St. Louis-New York, uh, low concern. And Dodgers-San Francisco, also low concern. For night games, go ahead and check the weather for sure because things can change on a dime. Dylan should be back tomorrow with the regular scheduled program. I hope you didn't mind these two fill-ins that I did. Uh, but in, And then I'll have another uh, podcast out today, The Sleeper in the Bus with Eno. But until then, take care. Thank you for listening to the Field of Streams podcast. For more fantasy baseball analysis, visit Fangraphs.com slash fantasy or follow us on Twitter at Rotographs. <laughs>